0: Today, we're going to talk about the marks of a godly mother. And if you'll take your Bibles and head to 1 Samuel 1 with me, 1 Samuel 1, we're introduced to Hannah. And Hannah's a very special lady. She'll be mother to... Uh, a great prophet in Israel who will designate the very first king of Israel. He will anoint Saul as the very first king. And then, of course, later we'll see David and Solomon, etc. But Hannah means grace. In fact, our youngest daughter who just came across the platform, her name is Hannah Grace. We never wanted to forget the meaning of her name. And she is a, a sweet and godly young lady who will again walk across this stage one week from today for Grace Christian Academy's um, commencement or graduation, and so we're we're proud of her, proud of all of these young men and women. Not only because we're sending out a bunch of academicians, but because we're sending out missionaries. Now they may be cleverly disguised as doctors, nurses, uh, heavy equipment operators, welders, etc., but they really are as children of God, missionaries for Jesus. And you know, just a few weeks ago, Hannah came home and she saw Cindy sort of laid out across the bed, which was very unusual. And she said, mom, are you okay? And Cindy said, no, sweetheart, I'm really not. I'm not feeling good at all. And Hannah said, well, okay, don't worry about it. She said, I'm going to help you get up and I'll help you get to the stove to make dinner. Don't worry about it. Uh, No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hannah wouldn't do that. Our Hannah Grace would have gotten in there and gotten it done and made cereal for all of us. It would have been awesome. Listen, I know this for a fact. My kids would have starved to death without their mom, okay? Okay. The house would have been a disaster. My kids would have been malnourished. I cooked one meal. Um, I am happy to say that my children were young and didn't know better, and they raved over it to their mother for months. I cooked uh, frozen popcorn, chicken, and corn. It was a very colorful meal, and uh, it was delicious. But that was the extent of my kitchen prowess. And so I'm so grateful for my sweetheart and for my mom, and, and we'll talk more about them. But 99 years ago, it was May the 9th, 1914, by an act of Congress, President Woodrow Wilson proclaimed the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day, and he established this as a time for, quote, public expression of our love and reverence for the mothers of our country. And this morning, I want us to take a look at this particular mother in the Word of God and some of the challenges and some of the heartache and hardships she faced, but what are those marks of a godly mother. Stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word. I am going to go somewhat quickly for time's sake. I know that many of you have plans today and will be uh, very well aware of that and respect that. So we're going to pick up with verse 8. It says, Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? So that gives us an indication of why she's been weeping. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, and now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat of the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord, and she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. And then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant and remember me and do not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. So obviously she's been barren then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So she's sort of making a pre-vow, a Nazarite vow, we would learn later. And it happened as she continued praying before the Lord that Eli watched her mouth, and Hannah spoke in her heart. Only her lips moved, but her voice was not heard. Now, have you ever prayed so hard and in such grief that the words just couldn't come out? It's just a cry of the heart and yet, what does Eli think? Well, it says in verse 13, Eli thought she was drunk. My word. Eli said to her, how long will you be drunk? Put your wine away from you. But Hannah answered and said, no, my Lord. I'm a woman of sorrowful spirit. I've drunk neither wine nor intoxicating drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. Do not consider your maid a wicked woman, for out of the abundance of my complaining grief, I've spoken until now. And Eli answered and said, go in peace the God of Israel, grant your petition which you've asked of him. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. And so the woman went her way, and her face was no longer sad. Now, take note of that. She gave it up to the Lord. She trusted the man of God. And she went away, and her countenance brightened. And then they rose early in the morning and worshipped. Notice that. They worshipped before the Lord and returned and came to their house at Ramah. And Elkanah knew Hannah, his wife. You know what that means. And the Lord remembered her. So it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bore a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I've asked for him from the Lord. Samuel means heard by God. El, the end of the name, Elohim, Samuel, heard by God. Okay, or heard of God. So it came to pass in the process of time she conceived, now 21, now the man Elkanah and all his house went up to offer to the Lord the yearly sacrifice and his vows. So remember, they're going back to the tabernacle. This is uh, pre-temple days. And so Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, not until the child is weaned, then I'll take him that he may appear before the Lord, watch this, and remain there forever. So Elkanah, her husband, said to her, do what seems best to you. Wait until you've weaned him. Only let the Lord establish his word. In other words, you've gotten this vow. God's done his part. You confirm what you vowed to God. Let everything be established. And so the woman stayed and nursed her son till she'd weaned him. Now, when she'd weaned him, she took him up with her with three bulls, one ephah of flour, a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord in Shiloh. And the child was young. They slaughtered a bull and brought the child to Eli, who again is that the priest at this time. And she said, "Oh my Lord, as your soul lives, my Lord, I'm the woman who stood by you here praying to the Lord for this child. I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition, which I ask of Him. Therefore, I've also lent Him to the Lord. As long as He lives, He shall be lent to the Lord. So they worshipped the Lord there. Let's pray, Heavenly Father. This is a a powerful portion of your word that sets the stage for the great prophet to come. It shows us that through the power of a praying mother, you can change nations. Lord, you change history. You change everything. You certainly changed my life. Without my mother being faithful in the years even when dad didn't uh, walk by faith, I thank you that she took me to church over and over even in the days I didn't want to go. Mom was faithful to have me in the house of the Lord, and though I played the prodigal for some time, I know she never stopped praying for me and seeking your face on my behalf, and it's because of women like my mother and then godly women like my sweetheart, Cindy, that, um, that I stand here today. Lord, I know, and I know that you used them as your sovereign instruments of peace and reconciliation, but without their obedience, I, I don't know where I would be today, But I'm grateful that I'm here, and I'm grateful that my family is here. I'm grateful that we get to honor our moms and grandmothers today. Speak to every heart. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you, and be seated. So it's a pretty simple outline today, just uh, three marks of a godly mother. If you're taking notes, I want you to jot these down. And the first one I want you to see is that a godly mother may experience great sorrow, A godly mother may experience great sorrow. Did you know that women of faith often recorded in the Bible exhibit real problems and deep sorrow? Sometimes we think our biblical heroes are so different than us. Oh, the Hannah of the Bible is so very different. But not really, folks. Yes, their culture was different. Yes, their time was different. Yes, their language was different. But the Bible is full of real people with real problems who face those with real faith. And in 1 Samuel 1, we're introduced to a man named named Elkanah. Now, verse 2, which we didn't read, tells us that Elkanah had two wives. That's one of his problems right there. And one was called Hannah, and the other one was called Panina. Now, it doesn't sound like a wife. It sounds like something you eat, but that was the name of his other wife. And Panina was able to conceive and have children, but Hannah was barren. And so let's try to understand this culture. For those who have not heard me talk about this, uh, one of the wives' primary... um, thoughts, responsibility. Can I get a reset on my time, guys, by the way? Y'all are showing me at negative 10, and that makes me very nervous because I just started. So if y'all can possibly reset that, I would really appreciate it. Those guys in the booth are awesome. Um, So let's think about this. A barren womb is considered a curse that you've been looked down upon. In fact, you'd be spiritually disturbed, socially disgraced, emotionally depressed. And think about this long, oh, y'all are so good. You even gave me more time. Congratulations, you get to stay. I'm kidding, they didn't get, thank you very much for doing that, guys. So look at this, think about these women. Sarah, we just talked about Sarah. Abram, or Abraham's wife. Barren womb. Rebecca, Isaac's wife. Rachel, Jacob's wife. Ruth, Boaz's wife. Elizabeth, Zacharias's wife, who would eventually be the mother of John the Baptist. The Bible is full of ladies who were challenged with this very issue of barrenness. And the Bible says Hannah was full of sorrow. In verse 8, she's weeping. In verse 10, she has bitterness of soul. In verse 15, she has a sorrowful spirit. In verse 16, she speaks openly of her grief. She desperately wants a child. I want to make a statement here that many of the world's greatest heroes have often faced tremendous seasons of sorrow, particularly those closest to our Lord. Sometimes we think if they're really going through the fire, it must mean God is displeased almost never the case. Almost never the case. These that have such deep and abiding faith, God will test and temper. And you know what? He's making them even stronger. I I was in Brazil preaching um, last week a number of times, and I was sharing the story. One of the pastors had suddenly lost his mother. And so it changed our entire schedule to the glory of God. Because mission trips, you need to be flexible. Really, we need to have that attitude in life. Be flexible and go with it. And so we were trying to bring comfort. And the, the Indian folks there, which is what they prefer to call themselves, the Indians or indigenous peoples of this particular tribe, were comforting him and asked for the group to speak. And so in this service, I was one of several pastors, and um, they had just sang the Horatio Spafford song, It Is Well With My Soul. And they didn't know the story behind it. And so I shared how Spafford had tragically lost all four of his children. Maggie, Tanetta, Annie, and Bessie had all died tragically in an accident. If I haven't shared it here, I will one day. But, but Spafford, through the grief, through the pain, so many of our greatest hymns have been written. Even things like Amazing Grace by John Newton. So many things have come out of the pain. And he said, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is Well it is well with my soul. God, I'm going to trust you in spite of this pain that seems so deep and wide. Speaking of his death and resurrection in John 16, Jesus said, most assuredly, I say to you, you will weep and lament. Christian, disciple of Jesus. The world will rejoice. Sometimes we look at the non-believer and we think, why are the wicked rejoicing? And the people of God are weeping. But then Jesus says, but your sorrow will be turned to joy. And he talks about a mother going through the pains of labor. But then those soon subside with the joy of a child. And you have sorrow. But once I see you again, your heart will rejoice. And to have a child would have been Hannah was blessed by God according to Hebrew tradition. But year after year, she is childless. And she's in a long line of many godly women who've had their dreams shattered that things didn't work out as they thought they had planned, and maybe they were not able to have children. Maybe their baby was born with physical, emotional, or mental challenges. Maybe that baby was born into the arms of Jesus. Maybe a marriage didn't work out, or maybe it never happened at all, and the mother was left with the responsibility of raising her child or children by herself. Please know as a pastor that... um, When you walk through these valleys and these challenges, my heart breaks with you. We just lost a dear, sweet, godly member this morning, I was told, between services. I'm not going to speak of the name because I don't know who's been notified. Another precious family in our congregation lost a child this week. This is the anniversary of one of my dear friends and one of our staff members passing of his child and his wife and As much as we celebrate and we honor God, people of faith do face great sorrow. My sweet little nanny, my mom's mom, she was a prayer warrior. She was my Pentecostal holiness grandmother. Woo, baby. (laughs) Bapticostal. Great woman of faith. She never went to the extremes of uh, what we may find in Pentecostalism, but she had a, a deep spiritual walk, a great faith in the Lord Jesus. But you know, she lost her son, Charlie. He would have been my uncle, Charlie, but he passed long before I came into the world. She lost him at 13 months old to a blood disease. She lost her son, Tom, at age 23. My mother and Tom were almost just a year apart, and they were very, very close Mom said it was the hardest thing she'd ever faced till dad, but, but Tom was in a car wreck. And so my, my little nanny buried Charlie, and then she buried Tom. And then my Uncle Wayne sort of credited him for giving me my love for the outdoors. Uncle Wayne was always a big-time hunter and fisherman. And my Uncle Wayne, uh, he, he went home to be with the Lord some 16 years ago. Three sons my nanny buried before herself. And then it was uh, way over 30, 40, actually 40 years ago, actually, that my big daddy, her husband, my big daddy went home to be with Jesus. I was just a boy. She's buried her three sons. She buried her husband. And then about 11 years ago, let's see, in 2011, actually, my, my sweet nanny passed and was reunited with those boys and reunited with my big daddy. Um, She kept her faith. I'll talk more about that in a moment, but she kept her faith. Now, if she were here, she'd say, now, Bobby, you be sure you tell them I wasn't perfect. I know, but she made perfect uh, pintos, and she made perfect hog jaw, or or fat back, some of y'all go, and she she made perfect cornbread, and she was a perfect prayer warrior, and I'm going to talk about that in a moment, but she was a godly woman who faced great sorrow in her life. A godly mother may experience great sorrow, but a godly mother exercises genuine supplication. Now, guys, this is important. Exercise does it over and over and over. Genuine supplication. That is a humble request for help from someone in authority. We were meeting some of these precious little Indian children, and they would come out with their hands like this. And what they were saying is, Will you put your hand on mine and bless me? We couldn't speak the same language but would you bless me? And so we wanted to be a blessing to them. And so it was like a little prayer. Notice how the Bible describes Hannah's prayers. In verse 10, she was in bitterness of soul and prayed unto the Lord and wept. Verse 12, it came to pass that she continued praying. She didn't just pray and stop. She kept going. Verse 15, I have poured out my soul before the Lord. No, Eli, the wine wasn't poured out. I've poured out my soul in verses 26 and 27, Hannah prayed for Samuel and God had heard her prayer and answered in his time and his way, Samuel, Samuel, God has heard or heard of God or heard by God. Hannah had her share of sorrow, but she didn't shut down. She didn't lash out. She expressed her faith in supplication and prayer. And God will often use our challenges to get our attention and teach us. Listen to Psalm 119, 71. Listen. It was good for me to be afflicted that I may learn your decrees. I know personally, my prayer changes when it's really tough. When the storm is raging... My prayer changes. Verses 10 and 11, Hannah's weeping led to worship as her tears mingled with her prayers. And it is the kind of prayer that arises from bitterness of soul where you don't even have the words. I wrote it like this. When tears are in our eyes, our prayers often come from the heart. Because I'm going to be very frank with you guys. Obviously, I pray a lot. Uh, You say obviously. Well, I pray publicly a lot. I'm expected to pray publicly. But I also have to spend time in prayer privately. And one of my challenges is not to get in the rut of rote. Meaning just saying the same thing over and over. I try to avoid the rut of rote. Just repeating prayers. Vain repetitions. But it's very easy when things are good. It's very easy to fall into a trap. God, thank you for your food. Thank you for my family. Thank you for the friends. Thank you for the church. Thank you for the school. Thank you for this. Thank you, And it almost becomes just saying the words but when the storm really rages I don't know about y'all but my prayer changes I change and I'm not just offering a popcorn prayer I'm bathing that in tears you know it's, it's always been comforting to know my mother's prayed for me uh, when I left home at 16 to, to sing and do some shows and lived on my own for a while, uh, my mother was praying for me. I, why they let me go, I don't know. Um, I'm just glad they don't know what I was doing all that time. I'm just kidding. Mom, I don't don't freak out. I was a good boy, always obedient. So where did my mother learn the power of prayer? Well, my little nanny I was just telling you about. Now, I'm going to tell you something that some generations are not going to understand here today. But my mother used to call my nanny in a day long before caller ID call waiting and she'd go to the wall and pick up that thing with the curly Q on it and go (sniffs) I know some of y'all are gonna freak out and go I don't know what you're talking about what do you mean no call waiting why didn't you just flip over add her into the line have y'all ever heard "Eh, eh, eh, eh." that's called a busy signal some of you have never heard it in your life. But back in the day, right, and it wasn't quite back so far where she could say, Sarah, get me nanny, right? Y'all have watched Andy Griffith, right? Get me Juanita, Juanita, Juanita. It's not that day with the operator. But sometimes my sweet little nanny would be on the phone so long, my mother would request the operator to break into the line. Do any of y'all remember doing that? And invariably, my mother would get frustrated when she'd call call nanny, call nanny, call nanny, call nanny, And Nanny, the the line is busy, but do you know why? Because in her sweet Pentecostal Holiness Church there in Greensboro, North Carolina, everybody knew if you wanted somebody to pray for you earnestly, fervently, continually, you called Nanny. That's who you called. And my mother would finally get her and say, Mama, I've been trying to reach you for hours. What have you been doing for the last two hours? And she said, Honey, not two hours, three hours. I've been praying for such and such. I've been praying with so-and-so, and I can tell you right now, my mother will be watching. She's coming in town next week for graduation, but she'll affirm that my little godly nanny spent hours and hours on the phone with her church and with her community praying for people, praying over the concern. She was a woman of great supplication, and I know we've got some godly moms and grandmothers like that here, A godly mother may experience great sorrow, and she exercises genuine supplication, but a godly mother always exhibits generous sacrifice. And let's bring this thing all the way around. The generous sacrifice Hannah was giving to God was the very gift God had already given her, the gift of Samuel, her son. And so what's very interesting if you read Hebrew in the twenty verse 27 and 28, it says, For this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted, that word, granted me my petition, of which I ask of him. And then it says, Therefore I've lent him to the Lord. As long as he lives, he shall be lent to the Lord. Actually, what's interesting is four times. So grant, ask, lent, lent. They're actually the same root word in Hebrew. They're all the same word, just with variant endings. And it's shaw all, shaw all. That's what it kind of sounds like in English. And so shaw all is this concept of I have have, um, asked, I've begged, I've beseeched, and then it turns to I've given or it has been granted. And so it's a play on words in the Hebrew. And what it's saying is God did this for me, God did this for me. I will give him back, I will give him back. So it's a, it's a parallelism, and it's a play on the word, but it's so interesting. I love how John MacArthur put it. MacArthur said, the son Hannah requested, God had given, and she gives her gift back to the giver. She gives her gift back to the giver. Now, Some of us have had to do that far sooner than we anticipated. What difference does it make? that she's willing to give her gift back. Think about it, Samuel would become one of the greatest men of God in Old Testament times. He would lead his people in righteousness, he would serve as their last judge, he would anoint their first king Saul, he would solidify Israel as a nation, but she gave the gift back to the giver. Do you think she might have wept that day when she left her little, bitty, recently weaned child, maybe toddler or just slightly bigger, do you think she wept on her way home when she knew from that day forward she would only be able to visit ever so often? Do you realize today that what we give God now, he may use later for his glory and the good of the kingdom? Maybe you don't want to give it back. In fact, I would ask a question like this. Have you ever thought about giving your children back to God? Now, I know what some of y'all are thinking. Yeah, when they misbehaving, I'd like to give them back to God. That's not what I'm talking about. No returns, no refunds, no receipts. I get it. We all understand, parents, why some animals eat their young. I get it. Okay, I've been there. I, understand. I love y'all kids, by the way. But let's be honest, sometimes that's why the Lord grants us grandchildren one day so that we can play with them and send them home to the glory of God. But have you ever thought about this? Think about that. And I know sometimes this happens far, far sooner. Um, let me say, though, that um, watching our friends down here, <clears throat> y'all shouldn't have sat in front of me today. Y'all have messed me up watching our friends Jeff and Debbie, who are two of the dearest people in our lives, uh, watching the way they and their son Trevin and his precious wife Lydia have walked through this valley of the shadow of death and watching how they have given their sweet magnolia back to Jesus. They didn't want to. They don't want to now. But I will say to you, uh, my friends, it's been an inspiration to me. You have encouraged me. You have inspired me. Uh, Your son, much younger than me, is inspiring me to be a better husband and a better father. And so if for no other reason, and there will be many other reasons, but um, I want to say thank you for a display of faith. Even in the midst of deep, dark grief, thank you for displaying your faith for me. I've needed it. So anyway, um, listen, you go through things you don't want to go through. And Christians are not exempt. Quit listening to this wishy-washy, manby-pamby, goobly got preaching that says if you come to Jesus, it's all going to be okay. And you get the promotion. And you're a winner every time. You are a winner at the end of it all. The sufferings of this life will not compare to the glory that awaits those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You will win in the end. But if you believe... But if you believe this googly got mess that says name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, it just that God is your grand divine genie and if you rub him the right way, he gives you what you want, you will not enjoy a walk of faith with the God of the Bible. The God of the Bible sometimes allows the storm, but he always walks all over it. And he will come to you in the midst of it. And he will lift you up and out and see you to the other side. But he doesn't always calm the storm. As the song says, sometimes he calms his child. Your moms out there are amazing. Reminds me of a father who's trying to explain the concept of marriage to his four-year-old daughter. He gets out the wedding album. He thinks the pictures will help. So he explains the whole service to her. And when he's finished, she had some questions. And so the sweet little girl pointed to the picture of the wedding party. And she said, Daddy, is that the day Mommy came to work for us? (laughs) I know some of you sweet ladies feel that way. And on behalf of men everywhere, we are sorry. Sorry. On so many levels, we are sorry. But I want you to understand the greatest sacrifice you can give today, mothers and grandmothers, beyond your own heart and your life to the Lord Jesus, the greatest gift you can give is your children and grandchildren. When you realize that you would not have the gift without the giver, then you are better equipped to give the gift back and say, Lord, you know better than me. You have all wisdom. And all understanding. Make it your mission to give your children to the Lord for a life of dedicated service. There is no greater purpose, no higher honor. And to all women listening to this message, let me be mindful that you are all of great worth in God's sight, whether or not you have your own biological child or children. Some of this cultural understanding was just simply wrong, it was just wrong. To think somehow that barrenness was a curse of God. No, sometimes God in his sovereignty does things the way he does them. And later, down the road, standing face to face, we may understand, but we may not ever get at this side of glory. Simply know that you are valuable for who you are. Jesus paid the price for you. You have infinite value and worth to God, not because of what you do or who you produce, but because God loves you. And maybe that child is no longer with you. You have experienced profound loss or the separation of a broken relationship today, but God knows what it's like to face tremendous pain. And God wants to heal your heart and he wants to heal your home. And so trust him to be there. Healer, don't raise a fist in anger for what you don't have, raise a hand in praise for all you do have. Trust that Father knows best. And to my mom, who will be watching sometime today, I'm sure, um, thank you for the sacrifices you've made for me. Thank you that you got it right the first time and I didn't have to have any brothers and sisters. That's been a good thing. Thank you for your willingness to let me go, whether it was singing, preaching, thank you for always saying near or far you would be praying for us and for the work, and I look forward to being with you again next week. Uh, Godly mothers may experience great sorrow, they exercise genuine supplication, and they exhibit generous sacrifice. I'll close with this. you know, my Cindy, I, I never forget being in the little parlor of the old dorm she was in at William and Mary. We just celebrated our 28th anniversary, um, but this is nearly 29 years. We were in Brazil and they sang to us; it was cool. But we, about 20, almost 29 years ago, when I went on our first date, and I said, "What do you want to do? What do you want to be?" And this is she said, "I want to be a godly wife and mother." That's what she told me, and I'm thinking. I never heard that from anybody else before. Not that I had any other girlfriends before her. I'm just saying, I never heard that before. She's the only one. And, um, <laughs> okay, I might have had one or two, all right? I'm in the pulpit, I got a meow. But uh, you, you really have, in about these last three decades, babe, you've lived up to every word of that. You really have. And, and being able to be in Brazil with you this last week, um, and get a little bit of sugar, but being able to be with you in Brazil, and um, see how you loved on those pastor's wives in a way that I couldn't, man, that was precious. One of those pastor's wives lost her mother, her father, and two siblings in COVID, all in a very short period of time. Didn't the mother and father pass within 10 minutes of one another? And Miss Cindy got to go and pray over her and pray God's comfort and blessing in her life. And it was incredible. And uh, I'll close with this. You know, my mom taught me a lot of things when I was younger. My mother taught me about religion, right? She said, um, you better pray that'll come out of the carpet. And so I learned about religion. Um, She taught me about logic. When when I kept saying, but why do I have to do that, mom? Why? She'd say, just because I told you. And we've used that logic with my children. My mother taught me about the value of planning ahead. She always said to wear clean underwear because I might get in an accident. I guess you EMT folks are offended by dirty draws. Uh, my mother taught me about the weather. She'd come in and say, Lord, it looks like a tornado went through your room, right? My mother taught me about the circle of life. She said, I brought you into this world and I can take you out. My, my mother even taught me about time travel. She'd say, if you don't straighten up, I'm going to knock you into next week. She didn't really say most of that, but she did say something one time. She begged me to never tell this again. I'm sorry. I apologize now. It's better to ask for forgiveness than permission right now. So one time she did get really, really mad at me. Now, I know you're shocked. I can't imagine that I would have irritated her in any way, shape, or form. But at some point, I was pressing her buttons. I mean pressing her buttons. And she got so mad. And her little fingers have always been bony. And she pointed a little bony finger out. And I promise you, as God is my witness, this is what she said. She said, I'm going to knock your brains out and stomp all over them. (laughs) Now, when she comes to visit next week, I hope that you'll go up and ask her, did you tell your son you wanted to knock his brains out and stomp all over them? Because I know she's gonna tell y'all the truth in the house of the Lord. She did tell me that, but I I forgive you. And I love you. I don't know what I was doing to make her so mad. I know you've never done that to your mom and moms, you've never said that to your kids. But let's be honest, even the godly mothers and grandmothers, sometimes it gets tough and we get frustrated. We get short, but God has blessed all of us because of you and I'm one of, I bet, many that could raise a hand and say, I would not be here were it not for God working through my mother who was faithful to bring me to the house of the Lord and train me up even before my father, before he began to come and be a part of that life. So as Jeff comes up. Uh, we appreciate all of you ladies. We appreciate what you do. Probably some days you want to curl up and hide. Some days you want to change your name from mom or g or whatever it is. But you may not always be out front getting the recognition you deserve. But we do love you and thank God for you. And whether you are on the mountaintop today in celebration or whether you are in the deepest and darkest of valleys, know that you're loved, know that you're lifted up. And I hope that we've all benefited as we study the marks. Of a godly mother. Stand with me this morning. So, here's what I'd like to do. If you'd like to come, if you're a family and your mom happens to be in the house, if you'd like to pray for her as we prayed over our graduates, it would be awesome to pray with our moms um, or grandmas if they're here, if you'd like to do that. If you don't know Jesus yet, I can tell you the thing your mother wants for Mother's Day above all else, if she's a Christian, is for you to get your life right, to know that Jesus loved you and died for your sin to know that your sin will separate you from God forever if you do not repent. That means turn around, trust Jesus, accept that he died for you, accept that he was buried, believe that he rose again, believe it in your heart, confess it with your mouth. The Bible says you'll be saved, you'll have a new life, you'll have a new destination, and I promise you that's what she wants more than all of your cards and all of your flowers and even all of your cash, although cash is good too. So here's what I want you to do. Give your life to Christ. Come see a pastor. Come see a counselor. Give her what she wants. Give the Lord your life and do it because he's calling you. Do it because you really believe. Do it because you really accept Jesus, not just to make her happy, though it will. Do it because you really mean it and sincerely